Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. Trump is ready for the fight. I am not surprised by this. I don't think any rational person is surprised by this. Why would you be? Of course he is. He was born for this stuff. He loves this stuff. All right. I don't actually think he loves being indicted. I don't. I don't think he likes it at all. I don't think he feels good about it. I think he sees it as a a, a problem more than anything else. But this is a guy who knows how to turn problems into opportunities. And his supporters don't see it as a problem. They see this as the proof that Trump is absolutely positively going to take the nomination in 2024. They are convinced of it more than ever. Now, where are you? Well, that might very well depend on what Trump does over the next couple days. Guys, welcome to the show presented by Americans for Prosperity, Economic Liberty, Free Speech. That is what it's all about, AmericansforProsperity.org. Uh, we know the indictment, and we know at least certain things uh, about it while it's still sealed. Could it have 30-plus uh, counts? Like, we've heard 34 counts. Well, that's absolutely possible. But that doesn't necessarily mean anything. Now, Chris Christie, I know, I know, hold up, work with me here. Chris Christie was breaking this down on ABC this week, and he said a couple things we can go any which way with. Yes and no, right? It does not surprise me that there are that many charges, because what you're talking about are financial transactions. And you can do it one of two ways as a prosecutor. You can bulk them all into one or two counts, or you can break them out into individual counts. And that's about your own decision in terms of how you want to present the proofs ultimately at trial and how you want the jury to consider it. So it doesn't surprise me that there's a lot. But I do think we're making a lot of presumptions based upon you know, media talk and, and, and talk from defense lawyers who you got Joe Tacopina to admit this morning. He has no idea what's in the charging document. He hasn't seen it. So I do think there may be some surprises in there for us, because the one thing I loved when I was the U.S. attorney, George, was only I knew what I knew. And that's the secrecy of the grand jury system. And then you have to, as the prosecutor, put your proofs forward. And unlike what Nancy Pelosi said on Twitter this week, Donald Trump doesn't have to prove his innocence. In fact, the government must prove beyond a reasonable doubt that he's guilty. Did you hear that from Nancy Pelosi? Nancy Pelosi said that Trump will have the opportunity to prove his innocence. These people really don't understand how the system works. Now, does it? Uh, So two things. When you take a look at the possibility of there are 34 counts in the indictment, if there were 34 transactions or 34 journal entries, remember, this is all about, ostensibly, this is how, how we know the story. This is all a discussion of how um, payments were made to Stormy Daniels, which you can argue is unethical in terms of you don't think that Trump's an ethical person. You could think it's immoral. I'm, I couldn't stop you from being in any uh, camp on those things. But the idea that it is a felony Well, that's surrealism. And you've got people like William Barr, the former attorney general, who is no fan of Trump's, referring to this case as pathetically weak. You have Jonathan Turley and a whole host of others saying, this can't, this doesn't make sense. This can't fly. We had heard that DAs, assistant DAs in Alvin Bragg's office, Alvin Bragg is the district attorney in Manhattan, saying, don't do this. Don't bring this case. This is crazy town. You sound like a crazy person here. We're we're actual lawyers. 
And our job is to be in the business of, uh, I don't know, actually doing things about the law. And this, this is about attacking somebody. This is about destruction is what this is. And we shouldn't be a part of this. This is a miserable and terrible idea. A miserable and terrible idea. So, so they go through with it anyway. And yes, uh, you you break it up into all these counts to make it sound, oh, 34 charges against Trump. It's not, it's really part of the same. As, as Chris Christie explained it, you could bulk it together. Those were his words. But his conversation of there could be a few surprises in there. And, you know, as, as a prosecutor, you love that you only know what you know. First of all, that's, that's exactly the reason why so many Americans hate these people. And uh, it's very obvious to me that Chris Christie had a little too much fun going after others. That, that's, that's what it says to me. I don't think that's a compliment or, 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 or something that what Chris Christie said is like, ooh, that's, that's endearing. I think it's pretty ugly. I think it's pretty gross. But the other part of this conversation is that the idea that there's some, pri- some surprise in there, no, that's guesswork. That's the guesswork. And I'm not in favor of the guesswork. We have no idea if there's going to be something in there or not. That's something you say when you're on the Sunday show uh, to make everybody think, ooh, look at what's going to happen here. You have no idea. I have no idea. And that part's right. So people are asking, how in the world, Tony, can you be talking about something if you have no idea how it's going to go forward? And the answer is, we know what we know. We know this is about a payment to Stormy Daniels. And we know for a fact that that's not a felony. So what the hell are we looking at? Trump's ready for this. Trump is 100% ready for this. The real question is, is Alvin Bragg? We'll get into that conversation soon enough. Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz. I made a commitment to myself that of all these sports guys we're going to start talking politics and they don't know what the bloody hell they're talking about we see it again and again there are very few guys who come from the sports world who are able to speak politics in a very rational way if these guys were just going to think they could just jump in and play in, in a world that I have been studying in while I'm getting into sports, screw them screw them, they're not in charge of anything, they sure as hell ain't in charge of me, they ain't in charge of you. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, guys, good to be with you, find everything TonyKatz.Locals.com TonyKatz.Locals.com and of course on Rumble, Rumble.com slash Tony Katz. And you really didn't have to be uh, much of a sports fan to realize that this, this entirety of March Madness has been just that finally aptly named this has been incredible when you take a look at a final four that's miami versus yukon and fau versus san diego state that's good stuff that is good business there's also been some very very good play let me bring in jmv from 93 the fan the sports guru of indiana and uh, the the nation to break this down you and dusty may the coach of of, of FAU went to the same high school, the same small yeah. high school in Southern Indiana. You used to be the most famous alumnist from, uh, <laughs> yeah. what was that, Green? Is that East Green or just East, Green? Eastern Green High School. And and now, and now you're just, you're just the, the also in the car when there's, yeah. when there's the obituary. That's now you because of Dusty May in this play, a buzzer beater, San Diego State yeah. taking out uh, FAU 72-71. Um, 
Does that mean San Diego State is ready to play in a national championship game, or it could have been either or? This is just luck. What's, who played bad? Who played well? Well, Tony, here's how it is. I mean, they're ready to go with UConn. That doesn't mean they're going to be up to the task with UConn. We'll get to that in a second. But you double back to that first national semifinal on Saturday, and you know, you, you saw San Diego State got down by 14. They hung in there. It wasn't all that they got back in it with a three-point shot, but hung in there. And they really did it on the offensive glass and getting offensive rebounds, getting offensive rebounds off of missed free throws a couple of different times, too. You could just see them slowly creeping back in. And the other thing you could see is Dusty May for Florida Atlantic. He knew the value of each possession because he understood that they were struggling in getting defensive stops. I thought Florida Atlantic looked really good. I just thought that San Diego State grinded that thing out, gave them an opportunity in that final possession, and then Butler stepped up and made that shot. But you just saw the value. You saw like three timeouts, one because for Florida Atlantic, they couldn't get the ball in bounds. But there were two other ones, too, because Dusty realized the value of that final possession they were going to have because you wanted ideally to score and have San Diego State look for that three. Uh, And ultimately, the Owls did not score. San Diego State had that opportunity and they knocked it in with a clutch shot by Butler again. I, I thought that really on both sides it was well coached, and I, th- I thought you also saw a difference in how coaching styles at the end of games can happen. Dusty went with the, the timeouts, and Brian Dutcher had two of his main guys, including Bradley on the bench, and went ahead and rolled with it without a timeout there in that final possession and got a nice look. They knocked it down, and they get UConn coming up in this national championship game coming up later on this evening. We'll get in into uh, the UConn in a second, but first take a look at, at, at San Diego State and, and this road. Beating Charleston, beating Furman, which uh, uh, got past Virginia in, yeah. in that first round. Beating Alabama, already beating the number one seed. Beating Creighton, uh, which was able to survive Baylor. And then, of course, beating FAU. It's not like they don't have a case to be made. They did beat a number one seed. Yeah, Tony, what's funny about it, too, normally when you get to this national championship game, there's like a signature moment where it could go either way, right, Uh, between you moving forward and you going home. And San Diego State had that against Creighton. If you remember, it was that call against Ryan Nimhart, the Creighton guard, with no time left on the clock or a little time left on the clock. That was the difference in that one made free throw, and that was the difference in that game. That was the difference in San Diego State moving on or possibly Creighton moving on. But normally, you have one of those signature moments where it could go either way. You survive that, and then you move on, and you get to this point. For UConn, it's different, Tony, because UConn has, what, five games now where they have won by double digits. They have looked phenomenal, and they can get you in a variety of ways. You're jumping ahead of me, man. You're jumping right ahead of me. What kind of what kind of person are you? No, no, no. It was just a lead-in. It's a segment. Oh, was, oh, thank goodness you're here. See, <laughs> what happens when you get two radio people. It gets it gets ridiculous. Talking to JMV, he's with 93.5107.5 The Fan in Indianapolis. Yep. He's the voice of India of sports in Indiana. The Guru. Let's take a look at this UConn route because I think it's probably the most impressive thing going on uh, out there. They beat Iona. Yep. Right, which you consider maybe their easiest battle, and they've won everything in this double-digit insanity. They beat St. Mary's. They beat Ar- They beat the living crap out of Arkansas by 23. Yeah. They beat Gonzaga so bad. Gonzaga's considering not having a program anymore. Yeah. And then it's not that they beat Miami. 
in the final four. They freaking humiliated Miami in the final. That's the only way to describe it. And Miami went through its own tough road, beating IU, beating uh, Texas uh, to get here. This is a team that should have been much more formidable. It only shows you, as you're discussing, man, UConn's a freaking beast. Yeah, Tony, you look back to last year, Danny Hurley, their head coach, surmised regarding his team, I've got to get some outside shooting here. And he went out and got outside shooting. They have, at least across the board in the landscape of college basketball right now, the perfect balance compared to everybody else. They have backcourt shooting. They have athleticism in the backcourt. They have athleticism in the front court, And they have a couple of bigs. They have a couple of bigs. One in Sunogo that starts, another that comes off the bench. They can play literally any way that you want to play. And you have seen the results of this. They have all been games in which that the Huskies have won by double digits because they are so well balanced. And we'll see if San Diego State can grind this out and stay close it's going to be one of those situations is if you can stay close and give yourself an opportunity and maybe UConn makes a mistake down the stretch but this has been all UConn all the time and honestly Tony I would expect that coming up tonight that national title game yeah but to, to look I, I, I'm telling you right now if I'm placing my bet it's it's UConn because right. of the the strength of the beats that they have had not take away from the 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 games that San Diego State has won but your argument about the FA you fight was that San Diego State was able to grind it out. Right. But UConn is so is Different. beating people by these double digits. We're yeah. talking about 20 point games. Grinding it out is one thing. You can't grind out a 24 point lead to nothing. That's the rarest stuff. 24 points to 12 points maybe. So you got to be playing from the beginning to get them only in that yeah. 10 12 point range if you think you're going to grind it out. Does San Diego State have the depth to do that? Well, I understand what you're saying on this, too, because San Diego State can't get down 14 in the second half, right. 14 minutes to go, like they did against FAU, because then they're going to get buried. What do I mean by grinding it out? I mean by just hanging, I mean, really utilizing, play, playing it in, in segments of the game, you know, going from timeout to TV timeout to TV timeout and maintaining an arm's reach. That's what they have to do. It's easier said than done. I can sit here all day and tell you that's what they need to do. But I guess this UConn team is going to be different. But you just want to be able to, for lack of a better description, you want to be able to survive until maybe you see UConn down the stretch. Because, Tony, the one thing that I brought up is these double-digit wins. UConn has not really been tested. You brought that up as well. They haven't been tested. You put them in a situation where on this national championship game stage, you get tested down the stretch, and maybe UConn you know, is not quite as – executing as they have you have to put them or at least as best possible put them in an uncomfortable spot san diego state has shot makers to do that they do and, and this is kind of a what like they like to say a grown man team right right now there's no question but you have to survive until those final minutes and see if you can put yukon in a very unfamiliar and an un comfortable spot of which they haven't been in this tournament so far but your money's going on on, on, yeah. on yukon at, yeah. at this stage yeah. of the game yeah, it'd be, it'd be tough for me to go against them. They're just so good. Uh, they have so much depth, and they just have what other teams have not had in this tournament. And I just think it, the results show exactly what they've been with Danny Hurley's team. They've been a good shooting team. 
been a good defensive team, and nobody's really gotten close. Well, well I've got you here talking to JMV, mm-hmm. 93.5, 107.5, the fan. He is the voice of sports in Indiana. Uh, let's talk about IU real quick, which went out way too early uh, in this contest, did not give itself a chance to shine. I mean, not as bad as Purdue uh, going out, but still really bad. Jalen hood the freshman saying, hey, thanks for the memories. I'm going to the NBA. Two things. Jalen hood Shafino as a freshman, has what it takes for the NBA. And number two, what does this say uh, about Coach Mike Woodson? Does this say that his program doesn't inspire people to stick around? Or does it say, you spent a year with Mike Woodson, boom, bop, bip, you're going to the pros, sweet, sweet cash, sneaker deals, all the rest? No, Tony, the second part of what you said, that's how you view it. Because Jalen hood Shafino came to Bloomington with not many aspirations of being a one-and-done type of player. And with Mike Woodson's crew, that's exactly what he became. That's what he evolved into. So that's a great future selling point for Mike Woodson. And for Jalen hood Shafino, when you get the opportunity and you know, because they do all this homework or people do it for you, they know where a team is going to select you. So when you know you're going to be in round number one, maybe it's on the fringe of the lottery, maybe it's outside the lottery, but you're going to get that guaranteed money in round number one, you have to to go and that's exactly what Jalen Huchafino was doing and that's exactly how Mike Woodson and his staff will play this off this guy came in didn't have aspirations didn't think he was going to be a one and done but look what he did with this offense look what he did with this team to evolve into that that is a great selling point for Mike Woodson even though they're losing a tremendous player to the NBA draft yeah it's um it's something else. So now, now if you're other members uh, of this team, just, you know, when, when this happens with any team, right, yep. you ask yourself with the unbelievable speed of the transfer portal and how quickly people will jump into that and be like, all right, I'll go find myself another opportunity, another place. You see uh, any players saying, well, I, I lose Trace uh, uh, Jackson Davis. I lose uh, Jalen uh, hood Shafino. I, I don't have anybody else with three names on this team. So now I got to go. I, I got to go somewhere else where I can uh, possibly win a championship because I need the four years. Are you seeing anybody uh, jump ship or are you going to see some well, people coming this way? They've already had guys that have gone in the transfer portal, Jordan Geronimo being one, Tamar Bates being another. Uh, Tony, these are guys that I think we all expected were going to be in there too. Lack of playing time, maybe after a couple of years for them both, not getting out or three years, I think, in terms of Geronimo. But anyway, not getting out of the situation once they get out of the situation. And I think those, much like we talk about the anticipation of a first-round uh, NBA draft pick where you got to go in, in terms of Hood Shafino, I, I think that Mike Woods and his staff, understood going in that these are the guys, you know, Logan Duncan, who is a big man who never got any clock whatsoever. So these are all players that are in the transfer portal and it makes sense. It's the ones that kind of surprise you a little bit. And I'll give you one Hunter Dickinson from Michigan is their big man. And Michigan's losing two guys, including the coach's son, Jawan Howard's son to the NBA draft. But Hunter Dickinson is a guy that kind of surprised everybody Uh, The big man from Michigan entered the transfer portal, and he's from the D.C. area, so maybe he ends up at Georgetown uh, with uh, their new head coach, Ed Cooley. Maybe it's Maryland with uh, Kevin Whirla there uh, still in the Big Ten. But that's those are the surprises that maybe you're not altogether prepared for. And Mike Woodson in Bloomington, they haven't had any of those surprises. They knew they were going to have to dig deep 
in terms of getting into this transfer portal. You know, they got the kid from Ball State, the Sparks kid, Peyton Sparks, down there now as a good complimentary piece. They knew going into this offseason they're going to have to dive deep into it. That's exactly what they're going to do regardless of, of uh, Geronimo or Duncan or Bates going into the transfer portal. They knew they were going to have to do this. JMV 93.51075, the fan, the voice of sports in Indiana. I appreciate you taking the time to be with us. You can follow him on the Twitter box or not. It's totally up to you. More is coming up. I'm Tony Katz. So after doing some traveling to Florida, I can share with you that airports are indeed busy. Connected in Atlanta, I can tell you that the Atlanta airport is busy. People are traveling. The question, of course, is they're traveling at these prices? That seems insane. Tony Katz, good to be with you. Gary Dick joins us right now from InsideIndianaBusiness.com on Twitter at IIB. Before we get into what's going on with the Indy Airport, uh, Gary Dick, you sent out this tweet. About yeah. being in, in, in downtown Fortville and, and what a party was it, it was, even with, with the rain. What was it about the scene there in Fortville that made you stop and kind of take it in for a moment? Yeah, people. I mean, it, it was amazing. It really struck me. It was Friday evening. You know, the weather was awful. You know, it was cold and rainy and, and, and windy and just not a nice, nice night. But if you look up and down uh, Main Street in Fortville, it was full. Every parking space was taken. Uh, restaurants were uh, were happening, and, and it just made me reflect for a moment. You know, there's a there's a small town in Fortville that's kind of uh, taken its uh, uh, future in its own hands, if you will. They've, they've redone the, the main street uh, uh, streetscape and really spruced things up downtown. Have attracted some restaurants and investment. Uh, in the downtown, and it's just—I I thought it was noteworthy and a, kind of an example for other communities around the state because you know we all hear about small town Indiana dying, and you know there's some reality to the, that in some communities really struggling. But Fortville uh, is uh, seems quite the opposite. Is it because they've got, for example, Taxman Brewing? Because they have Fox Garden? Because they have these these anchors that that are then uh, supported around? Whether it's Maduro on Main, the cigar shop, or or Katie's Place Sunrise uh, Bakery, which is yep. the the best blueberry fritter in the history of mankind, is right there at Sunrise. What Katie is doing is is pure brilliance. Is it is it about the style? So, for example, if you were to take a look at a Danville and take a look at their square, Noblesville, where it's an actual square versus, let's say, yeah. a Carmel, which has that that downtown drag, does that make a difference to how people envision it and see it? I, I think so. You know, I I think it's as much as anything. And you mentioned some great restaurants and and, and uh, eateries in uh, locations there in Fortville. You think of Fox Garden and the great business that they do. I, I think it's really a result of these businesses or a business or two that gets there and say, you know what, we want to grow our business, but we want to grow the town. We want we want uh, kind of all ships to rise, if you will. And, and I think that's what you're seeing in places like Fortville where there's, uh, you know, some, I don't know, increased pride, if you will, in the downtown uh, area or in the community that's helped to create an environment that a tax man says, yeah, we want to be there. And another and another and those types of things, you mentioned that cigar shop on Main Street there. Uh, it's really undergone a transformation in, in the last uh, the last couple of years that's very noticeable. Uh, and I think, again, it can be somewhat of a model for some other uh, some other places. 
Uh, speaking of models for other places, that's the Indianapolis Indianapolis International Airport uh, mm-hmm. that continues to win awards, continues uh, to crush. I have actually uh, developed a a uh, two reality shows based on the Indianapolis International Airport. I will pitch them to you one day, uh, Gary Dick. We're we're, we're going into like business. I'm I'm as ready as as you can imagine, uh, but they're saying traffic is up, and now we're we're back to these conversations of where are the more nonstops? Do we start seeing nonstops to Heathrow? Do we see, start seeing nonstops uh, to 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 Germany? What's the latest with the airport, with their growth, and what are we looking at coming forward? Yeah, well, Tony, you know, a, a few weeks ago it was uh, it was revealed, it was announced that Cincinnati is actually getting a, a nonstop route uh, to uh, to London, that, that route that Indianapolis had hoped to get. It's going to Cincinnati. So uh, in the, uh, losing out on that one. However, Mario Rodriguez, the executive director of the airport on the show this weekend, uh, said that uh, a nonstop to Europe is not out of the card, is not dead by any means in terms of uh, is how he phrased it, and said there are continuing negotiations for routes potentially to London, Paris, or Frankfurt, uh, on the books, the key is going to be business stepping up and and uh, and taking some of these seats, buying, getting some of these seats, uh, making it more attractive for the airlines to uh, to actually put in that that nonstop uh, uh, European flight. Uh, so that those negotiations, those talks are ongoing. And, and but you mentioned traffic. You mentioned the awards. Eleven straight years, best airport in North America. So Indianapolis continues to get a lot of attention for its uh, airport. And traffic, according to uh, to Mario Rodriguez, is up 10% over peer airports, meaning more more air traffic uh, travelers, 10% more in Indianapolis than some of the other peer airports here in the Midwest. So uh, signs pointing to, to something that's uh, you know positive post-pandemic seems to be back to, uh, to pre-pandemic levels or very close to it. Talking to Gary Dick from InsideIndianaBusiness.com on Twitter at IIB. All the talk about 16 Tech and all the talk about that whole area of of downtown Indianapolis and how it's building out, how it's growing. And now this bridge, I mean, we're not talking about something in the ether. We're talking about a physical bridge to connect it to the IU Med Center and what's going to be uh, IU Indianapolis and whatever Purdue is is going to do. Where is this going? How big is this bridge? What's it for? I, teach me yeah. something here. Yeah, it, it, you know, I, I, I think it's tough to overstate the potential, again, potential importance that this bridge has. 16 Tech, an innovation district, had been talked about uh, I think through four, uh, maybe even five mayoral administrations have been talked about for a long time. It is finally, uh, in fact, it's now five years old, uh, believe it or not, but is actually happening. Uh, research labs and a variety of things. There's a, f- a food and drink destination there, the AMP, uh, that are coming out of the ground uh, not far from the old Bush Stadium on West 16th Street. And what happened last week was a bridge, as you say, a physical bridge connecting 16 Tech to the IU Med Center and Eskenazi, all the various health and life sciences uh, uh, pieces of a corridor right across Fall Creek. There is Fall Creek. It provides a barrier, basically, between the two. This bridge will link that. It's, it's a bridge for cars, but for people, too, students and others to get back and forth between 16 Tech and the innovation happening there and all of the health and life sciences 
and, and a much broader redevelopment. So I think, Tony, it's a, it's a big story for the innovation space, if you will, in Indiana, but also for that uh, near north and near northwest side uh, area, which is, uh, you know, say it's been neglected. It hasn't uh, uh, been uh, uh, in great shape for a long time. That looks to change because in part because of this connection. Uh, the the plan uh, as as they grow this is this a uh, a desire with sixteen tech to have the same kind of work play feel like eleven park is tr- uh, trying to do at the, at the diamond chain building and tearing that down and putting in the stadium and everything else is that the same end goal it, it, to an extent I mean I guess you could you you could kind of draw that that parallel the bottom line is creating an environment uh you know 16 tech and you ask anybody who's involved with this say this is a talent play we want to create an environment that's going to attract top talent whether it's in health the life sciences technology whatever the case might be and to create that environment with amenities and other things that uh, that are attractive to keep people here but also to attract people and in a sense as you look at at what uh, Ursal Ozdemir and the, the folks at Indy 11 want to do with that development. It's on the river. So, again, kind of quality of life, quality of place, those kinds of things. It has those elements. And it's not far. If you think bigger picture, that's the other piece uh, of this bridge story we, we did last week. You think bigger picture of what's going on in Indianapolis. You've got 16 Tech and that connection to IU and what will be Purdue Indianapolis as well. You go on up to Elanco on the Elanco campus, the Indy 11 project. Uh, not to mention you go in, into downtown and the Gamebridge Fieldhouse, those those types of things. There are several billion dollars in projects that are either underway or will be underway uh, in Indianapolis. So uh, perhaps a, 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 a transformational time for the city coming up with some of these projects. And how it's going to affect the IU campus in Indianapolis yeah. as the split with Purdue uh, takes place. This is all going to have a very unique Unique convergence. Yeah. Gary Dick, InsideIndianaBusiness.com on Twitter. Also on Twitter at IIB, Inside Indiana Business. That's where you find him. Gary Dick, thank you. I appreciate it. It's the growth thing that I'm always excited about. It is the opportunity to create opportunity that I'm always happy about. And I want to see growing. I want to see building. I want to see happening. It's just so incredibly important. It's incredibly important for these things to take place. But it's incredibly important everywhere. Everywhere. As for this idea of of this bridge, I'm curious as to what it does to IU and this whole split that's happening with Purdue, and it's going to become, you know, IU Indianapolis. And what does it mean? Is it going to grow as a campus that way? Is this connection to to 16 Tech and this? I mean, there's a lot of cool stuff at 16 Tech. A lot of good food at 16 Tech. Does it create this party atmosphere? This furthering of a campus feel? There's a little bit of distance to travel, but does it create this kind of like hipness? And, and you know, if you're IU, you're not creating a situation where you really have a competitor to you. You you don't want a competitor to the Bloomington campus. And maybe you, you could never actually have a competitor to Bloomington. It's Bloomington. It's beautiful. It's all these things. It's got the history and, and, and everything else. Uh, but is, is there a student that is so attracted to the to the downtown feel. What you want to do is, why have competition with another university? Why not have competition with yourself? 
if you feel that it's not going to, to cannibalize yourself, why not have competition with yourself? Be your own competition. You know, if you want the traditional campus experience, it's IU Bloomington. You want to be part of a, of a thriving downtown? Are we talking about Indianapolis? Well, it could be if we had a city county council or a mayor who did anything. Well, then my gosh, uh, uh, IU Indianapolis is the place for you. I, I don't know if that's their marketing or not, but that's the way I see this, this growth project. That's why I dig it so much. Because I dig it. I really and truly do. Oh, yeah, and places like Fortville, you know, the, these small towns that have just created this. Not only, not only is it about a vibrant downtown in terms of cool things, it's attitudinal. People dig that they have a cool downtown now. They dig that the investment was made, that that the, the steps they made as a, as a city, you know, with their elected officials, the way they vote, it worked out, and look at this and how cool, and they're excited about it, and they're participatory in it, which is everything, you know. It's everything. If you want to build the thing, you actually have to build the thing, and people have to buy in. If you don't have the buy-in, if you don't have the excitement, which takes real work, real, real work, well, then pfft, you ain't got ungats. You don't have absolutely positively anything. So um, more, more things like that. It's good stuff. I like, see, I, like, I like growth. I like when people uh, see that they can do it and then and maybe it inspires others to do it as well. It's better for Indiana. It's just better for the state. When small cities do well, when larger cities do well, it's not all about Indianapolis or bust. That's the point. The better other cities do, the better everybody does. It's the rising tide, and it creates competition, which, of course, is a winner, no matter what Bernie Sanders might think. Oh, I said, oh, don't worry. Don't worry. It's okay to be angry about Bernie Sanders, man. That live show is coming. Just wait for it. This is Tony Katz today. So the vast majority of America is talking about the indictment. And by the way, I started the sentence with so again. You got to tell me not to do that. I don't know when that happened. I start starting every... I start starting? My God. What is going on with me? I've been Joe Bidenized. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. I've been starting sentences with the word so. And I don't know why I started. And I just can't seem to stop. And so every time I start a sentence or I start a, a you know, I come back to air and I start with the word so, you got you to gotta tell me. You got to tell me. You got to stop me. It has to, has to happen. I can use your help. Meanwhile, as I was discussing, everybody's talking about the Trump indictment. But there's a story, and we, we, we got to it earlier, and I've spoken with, with Dr. Matt Will about this before, that I think is kind of fascinating about McDonald's. McDonald's shut down its offices the Wall Street Journal r- reported this yesterday. They shut down their offices because they're getting ready for corporate layoffs. Oh, okay. I can still get an egg McMuffin, right? I don't. I do not want to be left out of my opportunity to get an egg McMuffin. Daddy likes his egg McMuffins. In in this in this conversation, I am. I am daddy, that is that is correct. It may sound awkward, but it, it feels good uh, for me. They have more than 150,000 employees at McDonald's. So there's no idea or no knowing right now of how many people might get laid, laid off. If, if any, stock price is at a high as, as well. But just the thought of this, just the commentary of this. Why am I still being told that this economy is great? 
Amazon laying off people, Microsoft laying off people. Uh, uh, who, who is the other? Google has laid off people. They now call themselves the Alphabet on, on, on the top level. Can we be clear that this economy is not great? It's not. This economy is a problem, and it continues to be a problem, and that problem keeps growing and building. Why don't we admit so? The problem is I can go out into the world and I see people spending. I was in Florida the, uh, the, the this past weekend. My mother needed some help with something. I, I, I went down. I went out to dinner with my father. Now, it's a Friday night. It's happy hour. I get it. That's the time you're going to see people. The place had a line. The place is slammed. Everybody's spending. When I walk into a mall, a shopping mall, everybody's got a bag. I'm told that things are problematic. I see the numbers show me that things are problematic. But dear Lord, what actually is problematic? When do we start seeing that all these things that we're talking about economically play out? It is this really weird tale of two cities kinds of things. Maybe it hasn't trickled its way up to all the places that I'm at. So let's argue that's the case. Let's argue that I'm too highfalutin to right now be affected by the economic realities. But that's not true. And McDonald's is being affected by the highfalutin economic realities. Or we're about to find out to what level, to what extent. I just, I'm, I'm just stunned at what's going on with this economy. All the numbers say this, all the trends say that, and yet what I see anecdotally is different. Me, I'm betting on my brain and not my eyes. My eyes can lie. I don't think the data, I don't think what, what uh, my mind is telling me, what it, the data is sharing with me, I don't think that's lying, man. I, I, don't, I don't see it. I don't see it, and me, I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep my powder dry. I'm gonna keep holding on to as much cash as I can. See where this economy shakes out. You gotta do what's best for you. Find everything, TonyCats.locals.com, TonyCats.locals.com, and of course, Rumble.com slash TonyCats. Tomorrow, everyone, take care.